compelling me to spend my life in giving everything to Christ. And uh, that's really the subject of this evening's sermon, John chapter 20. If Jesus Christ is risen from the grave, then the reality of his life demands a response from us. If he's alive, and I trust you believe he is, if Christ really did rise from the grave, what does that mean for us today? And we find some of these truths in our text in John chapter 20. I want you to read along with me, please. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher, and then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, Yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher, weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord. And I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, Tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. And she turned herself, and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. And Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my father, and your father, and to my God, and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, 
even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Let's pray together. Father, we ask of thee now as we open thy book, open our hearts and open our minds and We ask of thee, Lord, send thy spirit into this place and into our own hearts that we may hear the word, understand the word, and receive it. And that this word may bring forth fruit that would remain until the day we die and prove to be fruit that would remain for all eternity. Bless now, we pray, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. We're considering tonight what does it mean if Jesus is alive? What does it mean for you and for me? I trust that if you were here this morning, then we have considered the reality and the truth of his resurrection. And now we consider what that means, the implications of a risen Savior for today. And we find it in the way that Jesus speaks to these particular followers and their response. The first one we find in our text is Mary. I think it's all, I always think it's special that the first person to hear the voice of the risen Savior was a woman, a faithful servant of the Lord. Sometimes people get the idea that it's only the men that get to serve God and only the men that are and it's the men at the forefront, but God has a special place of service for these dear women that love Him, faithful to Him, committed to Him. And here is a woman when everybody else had gone home. She tarried longer. She stayed there a little longer. When everybody else thought it was just a bit more comfortable and perhaps a bit better to think when they were at he couldn't bear to leave the place she last saw him. She was rewarded. Her faithfulness to him was rewarded. Leonardo, I can't hardly hear myself. Could you turn me up a little bit, please? She was rewarded for that. And the first words... Out of the mouth of a risen Savior are found in verse number 15. And Jesus says to Mary, Woman, why weepest thou? 
Whom seekest thou? And she, supposing him to be a gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. And here's the moment when Christ reveals himself to Mary, and he does it with calling the simple fact of calling her by She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. If Christ is alive and if we know him to be alive, then that means a couple of very important things. And the first one is the first response after Mary knew that her Lord was not dead but actually alive and that he was there with her at that very moment. The first response that she had is found in a very simple expression, three words long. She turned herself. The moment you believe and see that Christ is alive, it demands your total attention. Your entire life must be turned to attention to this risen Lord, if he's alive. Now look, if he's not alive, then you carry on living the way you've been living. And can I tell you, this proves to be one of the great problems in Christianity today, is that our lives change so very little. For many who call themselves Christians, their life has changed so very little and so insignificantly that you really wonder if they really believe that Jesus is alive. Because one glimpse of a risen Savior demands an entire turn of your life. And that's not just a play on words, and I'm not stretching it, but this woman went from being sad, grieved, mourning, at a total loss of direction in life, she went in a matter of a second with one word from being the most joyful human being on the planet at that very moment because she knew he was alive. And if you knew Christ Jesus was alive, if you really know him to be alive from the grave and to be your living Lord and Savior, it commands and demands an entire life. She turned herself. Can I ask you, have you turned? Has your life changed the direction? Or are you still living the way you've always lived? You've just changed your title. That's what it is for many people. There's no change in their life. Nothing's changed. Live in the way they think and the direction in life. Nothing has changed really substantially. The that's changed is their title. They went from being unbeliever to believer. They went from being nominal to now believer. Being maybe agnostic now to believer. That's it. Leonardo, do you want to... All they've done is change the name tag. What about you this evening? Has your life turned? Like Mary gave us a physical demonstration. Literally, she turned herself. At the voice of the Savior, at the realization that the one that she thought was dead was actually alive, she turned herself. And at turning herself, at the realization that he was indeed alive, everything from that moment onwards, from that moment forward, would never be the same again. And that's the truth for you if you know him to be alive. I don't know about you, but sometimes 
sometimes if we're not careful, we find ourselves just puttering on, just barely slinking along like the rest of the world, not nothing really significantly turned or changed. As Christians, we oftentimes use the word of repentance when it comes to salvation, the matter of salvation. And that word is literally a change of mind, which leads to a change of direction. And we believe that that's what takes place when somebody realizes that Christ is alive, that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. Repentance. A turning away from that doesn't mean a person becomes perfect. It doesn't mean they stop sinning. But it does mean your attitude towards sin has changed. Your mindset towards it has changed. The things you once loved, you now hate and abhor. The things you once chased after, you now avoid. Because you've been turned. There's another response that follows on in the same verse, in verse number 16. If Jesus be alive, it demands that we be turned. But it also demands, look what comes out of her mouth. The moment she realized that the one speaking to her was her risen Lord and Savior, she says unto him, she, he calls her by her name, and she calls him with this title, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Now there's only two times in all of the New Testament that the word Rabboni is found. They tell me, I am not a, an expert on the biblical languages, but they tell me that there are three grades of honor when it came to a spiritual leader in the Jewish world. And the word rabbi, we're more familiar with it, just simply means a Jewish religious instructor or teacher. But in the Jewish world, there were three levels, three grades of honor, and it began like this. The first level, the bottom level, was rab. It simply means master. And then after that, a person would attain to the second level, which was rabbi, which is my master. And the highest honor to be given to any teacher in the Jewish world was the title rabboni, which means my Lord, my great master. And this was the title that was often used for the president of the Sanhedrin, the top of the ruling of the Jewish religious system. The highest honor that could be given is the honor that Mary bestowed upon Jesus Christ. And can I just say, if Jesus is alive, that's what he demands and is worthy of from you and I today. That's what he's worthy of. And Mary was simply giving to him what was rightfully his, and that should be the natural response of everyone who recognizes this man to whom we have our entire lives avoided, this man that we have run from our entire lives who actually is alive, he is king of kings, he died for my sins, was buried and rose again, he is my Lord and my great master. This is, this is a part of Christianity that I believe that is lacking today. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 1, this amazing final book, the great finale of the, of the scripture, the holy scriptures. Revelation chapter 1, we learn something more of the Savior and we know that John is writing. This is not the revelation of John, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ given to John. And the Savior is revealing himself to John who would record it for us and so that throughout the centuries we may know something more of Christ, his church, and his soon coming. Look what John writes about this risen Lord. 
verse number 4 of Revelation chapter 1. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. Watch this. Who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. You see there, John is acknowledging him for who he really is. The first begotten of the dead. He's been born from the grave, risen again. And he is prince over all kings of the earth. Unto him that loved us. And washed us from our own sins in his own blood. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh. This is speaking of Jesus, the coming Lord. Behold, he's coming with clouds and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Now we're learning something about this, this Savior of ours. We're learning that he's more than just a good teacher. And learning that he's not just a good teacher, but he is Rabboni, which is my Lord and my great Master. He's not just a good talker. He's not just a miracle worker. Some people sing a way maker. No, no, no. He is your Lord. And he is coming very soon. He's the beginning and the end. He is king over all kings and Lord over all lords. And he continues, if we read in our text in verse 9, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, I was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Oh, that God would let us today be in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna and unto Pergamos and unto Thyatira and unto Sardis and unto Philadelphia and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst, here we go, watch this. In the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. This is what Mary meant when she said, Rabboni, my Lord and my great master. Because if he is alive, 
that he's done what no one else has ever done. He is what no one else has ever been. The Bible says he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. If Jesus is alive, if he's the one that is living who was dead and now is alive forevermore, if he has the keys of hell and death, he demands, he doesn't demand, but he deserves our need to be bowed before him and to acknowledge this is my master. And until that is your response, you will forever be living in anarchy. How can we call him? How can we say he's our Lord? How can we say he's our Savior? How can we say he's alive from the grave? But hey, he's alive from the grave and he's just like some other nice teacher. And fancy miracle worker. No, no, no. He's Lord and Master. My great Master. And if he's alive and my great Master, I ought to serve him until the day I die or see his face coming in the eastern sky. He's coming. Are you aware of that? He's coming. In every one of the parables that he gave when he was alive, speaking about his second coming, he talked about a man who, who went to get a kingdom for himself in a far country, and he's coming again. You remember? He divided unto his servants one pound apiece and told them, Occupy till I come. He gave another parable how he gave talents to one man, ten and five and three, and so on. You know the story. And he's coming. He talked about one who planted a, a, a fig tree in his vineyard and he's coming. All of these parables talk about his soon return. And when he comes, there will be a day of reckoning. And if we're not following his command and his lordship now, we're in trouble on that day. If he be risen, we like Mary ought to say, Rabboni, my master. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Now we find another implication. It's interesting, when you begin to look at the resurrection account, Christ begins meeting with different people at different places. Mary, he meets with the other ladies. He meets with the two men on the road to Emmaus. He goes into the upper room and meets with the disciples without Thomas there. Then he comes back and meets with them with Thomas there. And Each of these different occasions, he speaks different things, and he sometimes gives different commands. That tells me something. That our resurrected Lord, the resurrection of our Lord, requires and demands that we be turned a new way of life, a new way of living. It requires and demands that we recognize Him as my Lord, my great Master. And it also requires obedience to His command. Now, it's, it's an interesting thing. God has given us something that is called a will. Now, some people get nervous when that word is used, but it's a biblical word, and it's real. A will is that, that thing inside of you. It's a part of your soul that gives you a desire and directs all that you do. That's why we sometimes quote the psalmist who said, This is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice. I want to rejoice, and because I want to, I'm going to do it. That's what your will is. It's your want to. And because you want to, you do it. God's given us a will. Given us a desire. 
And that will and that desire oftentimes is in conflict with the commands that he gives us. And therefore, we've got to recognize that the natural desires of the flesh are oftentimes in direct opposition to the commands of Christ. And you've got a choice. You can do what you want to do, or you can do what he's commanded you to do. What's it going to be? Now, we live in a world that tells you do whatever you want to do. But can I tell you, that's the most foolish advice you could ever have. Whatever makes you happy, you do that. But what about what if what makes him happy makes him sad? That's stupid advice. Do whatever makes you happy, whatever you want. No, no, don't do what you want. What you want will lead you to hell. Do what he wants, what he commands, what he instructs. And so he gives a command. I love this. The Lord Jesus never appears to us, never reveals himself to us, never makes himself known to us without giving us further instruction. Always. If he's going to reveal himself to us, if we're going to recognize he is alive, he is Lord, then he's also going to give us some instructions. He doesn't just reveal himself to us to say, that's nice, wonderful that you're alive. With that comes an implication and also come instructions. And where we go wrong oftentimes is when we willfully ignore or disobey that which has been given. Well, to Mary, in verse number 17, he says, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Now, what a remarkable thing that God that Christ would send Mary to the twelve, well, the eleven, who would ultimately be sent to the world. Mary is sent to the eleven, and the eleven will be sent to all the world. It's remarkable. What a privilege this woman had to be the first sent one. And if you want to get down to the nitty-gritty of the definition of the word apostle, you could say Mary was the first apostle, the first sent one. But don't, don't call me a heretic now, but you get what I'm saying. She was sent by the Lord with a, with a specific word of instruction. I wonder what it is that he's given you. What command he's given you. This is, by the way, this is Christianity. Come and see. You remember what the angel said? Come and see. Go and tell. This is, this is our faith. Come and see. Go and tell. And so she does. Are you obeying? Are you obeying what the Lord has given you? And he's given us so many words of instructions, so much guidance. In fact, when you continue to read this, there are several other things, words that he gives to his people. Another implication of his resurrection. Three times he says, peace be unto you. I love this. Three times. One of the, one of the most glorious implications of a risen Savior is that we have peace. So if you don't have peace right now with a particular situation, or, or just in general, well then you, the best cure for that is getting a fresh view of the risen Lord and Savior. One of our biggest mistakes in life is that we spend so much time looking inwardly. And looking inwardly doesn't give you any answers at all. Looking inwardly may give you the problem, but it'll never give you the answer. The answer can never be found by looking inward. The answer can only be found by looking upward to Jesus Christ. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. 
Look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved. Look to him. Peace be unto you. Three times Jesus says it. Peace be unto you when he first goes in with the disciples. Then he said it again in case they missed it until they finally got their minds settled down upon the reality that he was alive. He says it again. Peace be unto you. And then again when Thomas was there, just for Thomas's sake and for the rest of their sake as well, peace be unto you. Now, do you know why he had to say that? Because the presence of this King of Kings and Lord of Lords, this almighty presence of the God in, in flesh, the God of creation in the flesh before their eyes, they knew then, if they never knew it before, this was God, and they needed peace for their troubled heart. Peace be unto you. You see, if... if if we really grasp this truth of the resurrection, it would bring such peace to our hearts. Because the truth of Christ being alive tells us nothing else really matters. Because if he's alive, then the rest of what he says is going to happen. It is happening. He's coming again very soon. I shall live eternally with him because he's alive. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. We shall be the latter fruits. Because he is alive. And that brings peace. To the darkest situation. Peace. But he also gives another word. The Bible says in verse number 19. Then the same day of the evening. Being at the first day of the week. When the doors were shut. Where the disciples were assembled. For fear of the Jews. Nothing dispels fear. Like the presence of Christ. Nothing alleviates the burden of grief. Like seeing the Lord Jesus. High and lifted up. In verse 20, when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad. Look here for a second. One of the most beautiful implications of a risen Savior is true joy. And the disciples didn't quite get that until they saw him. Now, Jesus talked about it. You remember, he said, my joy, I leave with you. I'm going to give you my joy, uh, fullness of joy. And they said, yeah, that sounds really good. We'd like to have that. But they weren't experiencing it. You ever been like that yourself? You quote Bible verses about joy? Oh, I got a little excited. Sorry about that. We quote Bible verses about joy. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. In thy presence is fullness of joy. But we wonder where is it? Where is that joy that he promised? And that joy is found with a fresh look at a risen Savior. A resurrected Lord. Now, they were glad. One more thought. The Lord Jesus then says unto them in verse 21, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Here's the last thought. If Christ be risen, and he is, then our lives ought to be given and employed in the service of telling others that he's alive. If he's alive. Is he alive? Then you've got no greater mission on earth. Than to tell the whole world. That he is alive. And. We would be the most selfish of people. To know that Jesus Christ is alive. And yet tell no one about it. We would be very selfish. To have discovered the cure. That all man needs. 
and to sit upon it and do nothing with it. All throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each one of their accounts of the resurrection, Christ gives a, gives a command to these followers, to the disciples, about how they should go into all the world. And they should preach the gospel. Of, they should preach repentance and remission of sins in his name. That they would be witnesses. We find something interesting that Jesus Christ tells them in verse 22. It coincides with Luke's gospel as well. In verse 22, Jesus says this. Receive ye the Holy Ghost. There's a missing element to much of our conservative Christianity today. And that is the person of the Holy Spirit. Much of conservative Christianity today wants to avoid talking about the Holy Spirit and avoid uh, dealing with these matters, but these are biblical truths that must be obeyed. And it was a command that they would receive Him. And upon the reception, if you remember, they were told to go to Jerusalem and tarry until they were endued with power from on high. It is an acknowledgement of the power of God's Spirit that was necessary to do what He'd sent them to do. I'm afraid that we're doing a lot of things without His power today. You say, but we get the Spirit when we were born again. Yes, we do. But are we living in His fullness? Are we filled with the Spirit? Are we endued with power? Because I'd hate to say that all that we're doing has been endued with power. I'd hate to say that, wouldn't you? I sometimes say to folks, and I say it uh, uh, freely with our own folks I say sometimes we blame God for things that we do we say it like this it all comes in this kind of vocabulary God really blessed us today what we meant was we worked hard today and we did this God didn't do it we did it we want to blame God for it because we feel better about it if God somehow had a part in it but being endued with power being filled with the Holy Ghost has much more it, it's, it means being able to accomplish something that we couldn't accomplish by ourselves you think getting a crowd is, is God's blessing? No, no, every religion in the world gets a crowd once a week. Every false teacher on the television gets a crowd. Let's stop blaming God for that kind of a thing, and let's start seeking Him for the kind of endowment, the kind of empowering that is needed in the Christian church today to do what God has saved us and called us to do. What cannot be done by man. That only happens when we come face to face with a risen Savior, believing that the same power that rose him from the grave is the power that dwells within us. That's what Paul meant in Philippians. That's what he meant in Philippians chapter 3. I love this. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. I want to know that, is what Paul said. That empowering that would enable us to do what he's called us to do and if we know that he's alive we ought to be empowered by him and then we're able to accomplish what he's called us to do it goes all the way back to this question do you believe that he's alive if you do then it demands that you turn something change in your life it demands that he is your lord and your great master it commands it and expects it this truth does brings peace knowing being reminded daily that he's alive he is risen it reminds us of peace it gives us instruction gives us joy and gives us a commission and empowering for the commission 
I wonder, do you know that power? We've only scratched the surface. We, 21st century Christianity is only, Western Christianity, may I say, that's all I really know. We've only scratched the surface of what could be done in the power of God's Spirit. If we would recognize and hear these commands and these expectations, you see, these disciples wouldn't dream of going into the world and doing what Jesus told them to do until they had been given what Christ promised and prophesied they would be given. That was empowering from on high. And we all say, well, we get the Holy Spirit when we're saved, and I believe that. But where is that? We don't have the same power that they seem to have had. Where have we gone wrong? He lives within us. But are we allowing him to fill us and to guide us and to direct us? Are we allowing him to empower us for what he's given us to do? Or are we doing it all in the work of the flesh, in the energy of the flesh? And when you work in the flesh, you get exhausted. When you try to serve God, when you try to obey the commands and the instructions of God in the power and the strength of the flesh, very soon you get exhausted. But if you do it in the power and the strength and the might of His Spirit, you can mount up with wings like eagles. You can run and not grow weary. You can walk and not faint. Because you've been empowered by the same Spirit that rose Him from the grave. That's what we need to discover and work in, in and out of. And may the Lord help us as a church. Would you bow your head with me in prayer? Father in heaven, we need thee. Help us to see how desperately we need thee. That if we were ever to be more than just a social gathering, we need thee. Help us to see afresh and anew that Jesus Christ is risen from the grave. And the same power that enabled him to walk out of that sepulcher 2,000 years ago, that same power dwells within each one of us. May we see it, recognize it, may we recognize him, the Holy Spirit, and may we know what it is to be endued with power to do what we've been called to do. Oh, Lord, help us to turn. May our lives be truly changed, utterly transformed. May we live in complete submission to our great master, our Lord. And may we daily be refreshed with joy and peace upon us. May we recognize these truths are all found as we constantly visit the presence of our risen Savior. Help us, we pray. Take our church and do with us what you will. But please do something with us, Lord, that would bring honor and glory to thee. For we ask it in Christ Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.